Good morning. <laughs> have to be able to see what I've got down here. Um, okay, we'll start with a chant. Lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from darkness to light. Lead us from death to immortality. Light us through and through with thy effulgent presence. Om, peace, peace, peace be unto us all. The topic this morning is, who is my mother? Now, we all have an answer for that right away. The woman who gave birth to us. <laughs> but is that our only mother? Is that only the only criteria? Or is it the woman who takes care of you? The one who protects you? The one who nurtures you? And is it all the same woman? Oftentimes, um, many people, it, it's not the same woman. Oftentimes, someone will die in childbirth, and, someone, and the child is raised by another woman. Now, does that make her any less the mother? What is the criteria, criteria for being called a mother? It's more, in my mind, it's more the characteristics that make up it's the it's the unconditional love that a woman could be a man but usually that's the father <laughs> um although i have met some men who made very good mothers <laughs> um but that unconditional love that love that requires nothing of the child just to be that unconditional attention to taking care of it, taking care of the child, nurturing the child, training the child to have success in life, and having the knowledge of when to let go. Because none of us can hang on to or own another being. We have to know that we are connected and we are um, love each other, but you don't own anyone. You are that that connection happens because, as they say in the Upanishads, you love not the child for the child's sake, but for the Lord within. We have to recognize that everyone that we love in this world, we're not loving that body. We're not loving that configuration or that personality. We are loving. The Lord within us is connecting with the Lord within them. And I remember many times it said, oh, one of my good friends says, a mother's job is to give your child wings and then let them fly. Let them be themselves. Let them fulfill their destiny. So we have many examples of this in mythology and in, in what we call reality. <laughs> um, many children are adopted. In our family, I know one of my cousins was adopted. And it was very exotic when you're three years old to find out he was adopted. Well, where did he come from? <laughs> um, 
Now, four years later, his parents had a child, a, a, a birth child. And guess what the great conflict was as they grew up? He was fine. She said, well, they wanted you. I was just a mistake. <laughs> we make our own miseries because, and we do this to ourselves for God knows why, but we do it out of habit. So we have many people who are adopted even when they have a parent living there. Oftentimes parents are too busy and, um, or both working and a neighbor will, who doesn't have children or isn't a working person will take on the day-by-day the -day duties of making sure they have a snack when they come home from school, making sure that they have extra opportunities in life. They're not just alone. So these are all nurturing people who protect and take care of children. Now, today, the reason I did uh, chose this topic is because today is Diwali, or Kali Puja in Bengal. Kali Puja is the Divine Mother. It's going to be celebrated this evening in Hollywood at 10 o'clock this evening. So if, you know, the Puja is open to everyone, you can go. This is one of our um, traditional mythological... Um, whatever you want to call it. Is it a myth? Is it, is it true? Who knows? It really doesn't matter because it's the principles that are involved. We have many examples of this. We have the examples of, in the life of Sri Krishna, his mother, the one who gave birth to him, was Devaki. Now, her brother was had been told, it, it had been foreseen, that her eighth child would kill Kamsa, her brother. So he proceeded to kill every one of her babies. Um, they made it, her husband made a deal with Kamsa, please don't kill us. We will give you each baby as it's born. And they did. And finally, Sri Krishna was born. Now that they were in prison, chained to the walls, and this effulgence filled the entire cell. And Devaki spent many, many, uh, much time extolling the beauties of the Lord who had come to stay with them. How great the Lord was, how powerful the Lord was, how the Lord was going to, why did they come to me? And at the same time, all of a sudden, she went, I have to protect my baby. So there's two different kinds of motherhood here. There's the motherhood of awe and reverence, and there's the motherhood of protection. So how did they do this? Well, somehow, and these are the miracles, the chains broke, um, Krishna was carried by his father across the river to Jashoda in Brindaban, and somehow she had given birth to a baby girl, but everyone fell asleep and no one knew he had come, and he switched the babies and took 
to show this baby girl which Kamsa came to kill. And as he came with the sword, the Divine Mother, Mahamaya, rose up and said, you cannot change what's going to happen. And you cannot kill me. So we have two different kinds of motherhood here. Which one is the mother? Is it the one who protected Krishna by taking him? Of course, we can also say the Lord protects himself. All things happen because of him or her. But is it the mother who, who gives up her child? Or is it the mother who raises him as a little baby and disciplines him or tries to? Because he was a little naughty. Um, we have the, also the example of Jesus on the cross. He looked at his mother, Mary, who had raised him, and he said, Mother, behold your son, pointing to John. And to John he said, John, behold your mother. So, and they this was not, I mean, that was how they lived. John did take care of Mary for the rest of her life. He protected her, took care of her. She did the same for him. But what is Kali? We heard from Vrajapran a couple, three weeks ago, the story, you know, the mythological story of the Chandi. The deity, the depiction that Ramakrishna worshipped and is in Dakshineshwar where he lived, shows a beautiful young woman standing firmly on her husband, Shiva, looking straightforwardly. She has four arms on the left side of her body, the arms hold a sword and a severed head. On the right side of her body, one hand is in blessing and the other is in grant your desires, it's in boon giving. Now the rest of her attire is a necklace of severed heads, a, a girdle or belt of severed arms, and what does this depict? Does this depict motherhood? Well, the left side, it's the symbolic depiction of Mahamaya. On one side you have opposites. Well, in taking the whole, you have opposites, you have contradictions, you have action, change, all is in flux. And at the same time, you have this extremely steady stance. You have a benign smile, you know, you have a beautiful countenance. And the depiction of complete serenity, there is no agitation, and beauty. This is the goddess, the mother that Ramakrishna worshipped. This he took on the aspect, you know, we have different relationships with God. You take on a relationship and you pursue that relationship. 
Okay, he pursued the relationship. He was the, a child of the Divine Mother. So he depended completely upon her for everything. Asked her what he should do during the day. He depended on her for every action that he did. We have, I'll do a quote um, from the great master by Swami Sardananda, who was one of his direct disciples and took care of the Holy Mother. Ramakrishna at that time was living with Haladhari, and he have Haladhari ridiculed the master, that's Ramakrishna, and said that his spiritual visions and states were due to the derangement of his brain. How pained at it, the master, and pained at it, the master would run to the Divine Mother, to the temple for consolation by her, and on one occasion came to Haladhari those words of ridicule, which sent the master into ecstasy during which he had the vision of a beautiful figure who instructed him to remain in Baba Mukha, to remain in the love of unbroken love of God. Unbroken. So this is how he did every time a teacher came, because I think most of you are familiar with the fact that Ramakrishna practiced every all the paths of religion and realized the same God in each path. As his different teachers arrived, he would check with the Divine Mother, should I do this? And the Divine Mother would give him permission. And then he would go full on to the whole thing. Um, When it came time for him to go beyond bhakti, which is the worship dualism, where you worship a personification of the Lord, to the non-dual practice. He got permission from the Divine Mother to pursue this. Now, that that meant that he had to go past the Divine Mother and go beyond her. In other words, basically take her out of his mind. And he had a very, very difficult time. He he'd mastered all the realizations very quickly. And he was ready to realize the non-dual experience, but he couldn't let go of his mother. And so finally his teacher, Todapuri, pressed a piece of glass between his eyes and he said, think on there. And he was finally able to get past that, so he had nirvikalpa samadhi, from which most people never come. They come back for a short time and then they're gone. Um, But, okay, so he then had the the experience of the non-dual, the highest experience that a human being can have. And when he came back from that, he went straight back to the devotion to his mother. That was his path. That was what he was showing us. This is the path that is the most natural to most human beings, where you love someone and you want to take care of them because you love them. It's not an unnatural path. To try and um, 
Clear your mind of every single thought is a very, very difficult thing. I mean, if any of you have sat there and closed your eyes and you're not going to think of anything, right? How long did that last? Not even a nanosecond. <laughs> We've all done it. <laughs> That's why we don't call it meditation sometimes. We say, well, I sat. <laughs> I mean, it is absolutely one of the most difficult ways. You have to negate absolutely everything in the world. Now, it's much easier to say, um, to love Jesus, to love Mary, the mother of Jesus, to love Krishna, to love Kali, to love um, someone you can relate to. Much easier. Because you have something, Rama. Um, we have a lot to Tara, to Kuan Yin, to Buddha. Anyone that you can actually relate to. This is much easier because when you sit down, you can, in your mind, you can have a picture of that, that person, that God. You can, ha you can talk to them. You can offer them, you know, you can, we all played when we were kids where we had, um, we played, well, as girls, we played house. But I mean, even it, you played pirates, you played cowboys and Indians, and you could actually get into action with who you were, your imagination. But it's not an imagination when you're thinking of God. That imagination becomes a reality. And you can talk to them, you can discuss things, you can take them with you everywhere. One of our monks who is long since gone, Took, had pictures of Ramakrishna in his shirt. And whenever he traveled, he'd take them out and show them where we were. <laughs> but I mean, it's that kind of closeness and love where you want to share everything of your life. You want to share everything because they are you. Um, now, in this tradition, after Ramakrishna died... His wife consort, Sarda Devi, was recognized as the Holy Mother. And she <coughs> um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll read one more quote. And this is from Gopasha Maharaj, who was one of her attendants in Jairamati. And he said of her, we often make a hard and fast distinction between our spiritual life and our worldly life or our worldly activities, thus dividing them into watertight compartments. <laughs> you know, I'm at work. This is not my spiritual life. I will sit in the temple. This is my spiritual life. We often feel that spiritual practice is something unnatural to us, as something forced into our life which we define as our activities. And I think we've all done this, haven't we? Oh, it's 6 o'clock. I have to get to Vespers. I can't um, continue my walk on the beach. In Holy Mother, this dichotomy did not arise. 
throughout her love and sweetness, there would naturally grow tra traits like proficiency in work, attachment to truth, forbearance, love and affection, eagerness to serve others, and everything else. As regards faith in God and practice of his worship, that became as spontaneous as breathing. So I think when, um, yeah, when, when we start on a practice, start defining, well, I don't know, when you find a place that you can find some peace and love and direct your attention, wherever it is, you have to know that it's God behind whatever it is you're directing your attention to. That it is God. If it's, if it's a person, if it's your husband, if it's your wife, know that it's the God within them. It's not that temporary case that's in the temporary shirt or the temporary suit that they have on. It's the God within. And as long as we continue to practice that, that becomes automatic in our heart and mind. And we can also see it in everyone else. We can expand that to include everyone that we meet, everyone that we see. And then we have reached the point where all we do see is the divine. Every aspect of nature, every aspect of um, your life, all the people that you meet. And at that point, you say, <clears throat> who is your mother? Is it, your mother is not just the one who gave birth to you. Your mother is every single person that has cared for you, that has um, enriched your life, has made you feel whole, when you when you're depressed has made has come to help you the person who has given you love and this holy mother was very proficient at <laughs> excuse me deva mata one of um parmananda's disciple <clears throat> a western disciple of swami parmananda who spent a great deal of time in India with Holy Mother, with Sardananda. She lived at that time. She said that Holy Mother's love was the all-encompassing, peaceful love that wrapped itself around every person that she saw. It was totally, we would say, indiscriminate. It did not matter if they were... <clears throat> Muslim, a sweeper class, a Westerner, they were all encompassed in this love. She might not speak their language. Many of our Western women 
who were friends of Swami Vivekananda, went to India and met her. They didn't speak the same language. She wasn't supposed, at, at that time in India, it was anathema that she would eat, have food with them, because it broke caste all over the place. It was really bad. And, but she did because they were her children also. And she truly felt that when they were having the Gandhi um, weaving, spinning stuff, and they were all trying to to get natural cloth made in India. Holy Mother sent one of the monks out, and she said, you get silk cloth for rock hall, and you can get cutty for, the, for so-and-so. And they said, Mother, you can't do that. We're boycotting English works. And she said, I can't do that. They, too, are my children, even if I have not met them. They, too, are my children. This kind of all-encompassing love, which, which embraces the entire world, is the ideal of motherhood. Um, Holy Mother herself, what she felt, she said that, um, wait, just one second. She said, always do your duty to others. But love alone you must give to God alone. Now she could give this love to everyone because she saw God in them. Worldly love always brings in its wake untold misery. Why does worldly love bring misery? To quote Mother again, because desire alone is the root of all suffering. Air is the cause and is the cause of repeated births and deaths. It is the obstacle in the way of liberation. Desire for God is liberating. When you put your hopes and desires on a non-eternal being, which we all are, this body is not eternal. I mean, we all know that, and especially as you get older and things quit working. It's not going to last forever. It's like an old car. You can keep it going for just so long. And then... By darn, I mean, you can change the tires, you can get a new carburetor, you can get, Lord, you can almost get anything new now, but eventually it is going to quit. <laughs> and when we put all of our hopes and desires and love on that limited, extremely limited, non-eternal aspect then we're going to be miserable, eventually. Or disappointed, or shattered because someone, um, you know, shattered because our body isn't working the way it used to. I can't do what I did when I was 20. Although one of our ex-nuns, she, she said the best thing I've ever heard. She said, well, I can still do what I did when I was 25. But what took two hours then takes two and a half days now. <laughs> and I think a lot of us feel like that. When you're young, you can get it done. <laughs> um, Sister Nevedita, who was another Western disciple of, not of Holy Mother, of Swami Vivekananda, 
described Holy Mother. And she spent her life in India. She is quite um, well regarded in, in Calcutta. She spent her entire life trying to educate the women there. That's what Swamiji gave her as a task in life. He said, this will be doing the Lord's work if you do this. So she um, described mother's love as you are full of love. It's not the flushed, violent love like ours and like the world's but a gentle peace that brings good to everyone and wishes ill to none. It is a golden radiance full of play. Now, so often in the Western world, we um, put the greatest emphasis on romantic love or, uh, yeah, romantic love. It's all pretty much body-oriented <laughs> at first. It can get there. But when you think back and think of where you had your first experience of unconditional love, that's usually the person who has done the most mothering for you, no matter who it is. That person that you, can go, you could go to no matter who you were no matter what you'd done, um, no matter what time of day or night it was, that's the person in this ephemeral world that would be the example of motherliness. The person who fed you when you were hungry, the person who took care of you, who got you new shoes when you needed them. And it may not be the same person but to put all of that, all of those expectations on one imperfect person is unrealistic. We have to look at our whole experience to find who is our real mother. Excuse me, I've got terrible allergies, <laughs> and they just keep coming. <laughs> um, so... It's, it's interesting to try and think, who is our mother? I mean, we have good mothers and we have bad mothers, and our mothers are, are doing the best they can. My mother was only 19 when she had me, so she was a kid. And she did, you know, a dynamite job. But she was learning. It, it was like, learn as you go. <laughs> and I think that's the way it is with all um, families in the West where you don't have that extended family and you don't live with your grandparents and you don't um, have all the other women. Uh, a thing, you know, you have your your aunts who are also mothers. You're in a big extended family and it's not just one person. You can go to any of them. So when we expand that, we can stop... Um, reliving things in our childhood that we think have have scarred us for life or um, that we can't let go of. When We have to remember that 
Everyone is doing the very best job they can, given who they are, where they are, and what the circumstance is. They're doing the best they can. It may be really bad. It may be really awful. But it's the best they can do at that point. That's why it, it is beneficial for us to look, expand our idea of who a mother is, to include all these other people who have helped us, all these other people who have loved us, all these other people who have nurtured us. And what we're doing, we're actually helping ourselves. We are definitely helping ourselves because as we hold all of these negative ideas in our hearts, the only person that hurts is us. That's the only person that suffers. If we hold the negative thoughts, we are making ourselves suffer. If we can look to more positive situations, we are only helping ourselves and our own spiritual growth. <laughs> My mother and I seldom argued, but <laughs> she was really mad at me one day, and we were in the car, and um, I was probably 10. And she went around the corner, and we had an old car, and the car door flew open. And I went out on the door and came back in. And I looked at her, and I said, you're trying to kill me. <laughs> A typical kid's reaction. <laughs> Why are you mad? Why are you trying to kill me? She was so horrified, she stopped the car immediately. <laughs> but those kind of things, if, now I laugh about it. At the time, I thought it was terribly serious. Of course, only serious for about two days, and then I was all over. But we all have these things, and they're not that um, blatantly funny. I mean, that was so totally an accident, it wasn't even, there was no reason to bring it up. But I'll never forget flying out on the car door <laughs> and popping right back in as we finished the corner. <laughs> Um, so, in the, ch I'm going to quit. Um, I'm going to read you one last thing. And this is a long quote, if I can find it. <laughs> this is probably, I don't really know where it's from. I think it's from the Chandi. But it's a translation by a Swami named Swami Ganeshwarananda who was in Chicago in the 20s, and he did not state what he had translated. But from the reading of it, I believe it's the Chandi. And the mother speaks, her melodious voice exceeding in beauty, the most enchanting music, assures her children of her unbounded love and protection. I am the substance. I am the reality. I am the golden thread that holds you together in perfect harmony, she declares. I am the one source of your inspiration, illumination, strength, and perfection. 
Know that it is my power which expresses itself through your endeavors. It is my power that goads you into the realm of phenomenal expression. It is my maya that makes you forget me and remain attached to the masks that I wear. Take refuge in me. I am the essence behind every manifestation. Discover my existence and power behind every form, and I shall remove the veil from your understanding and keep you forever in my arms. In progress or stagnation, happiness or misery, rise or fall, I always lead you by the hand. You might not realize my presence, but I protect, guide, and inspire you at every step. You might not hear my reassuring words, but I hear even the slightest whisper raised by your yearning heart. Have no fear. Gain the conviction that it is the mother's all-powerful hand which is leading you through the varied experiences of life. I am the substance. I am the source of all inspiration, strength, and power. Meditate on me. Comprehend my existence in every form. Remain constantly saturated in the realization of my boundless and uncaused love. Okay, now, um, let's see. As I said, Kali Puja is tonight in Hollywood at 10 o'clock. We will have the reading on Wednesday at 5 o'clock here in the temple. We're going through the direct disciples of Ramakrishna, their lives, because I think many of us don't really know everything about them. And put together the 16 direct disciples they say make the whole of Ramakrishna. So we are on Swami Akandananda. And that will be at 5 o'clock here in the temple and on Zoom. Saturday, we'll have the gospel reading, Gospel of Ramakrishna here in the temple at 5. And next Sunday's lecture is Thy Beauty Sparkles in Dense Darkness. Swami Sumanasananda, our assistant, Swami from India. That will be at 11 here in the temple. Now, I have one last thing to read you, which was um, Holy Mother's. It's in, if I can find it, Jairambati. There were three places that were built for Holy Mother by Swami Sardananda. One was the temple, the Udbodhan. One was the temple in Bellarmat where she was cremated. And one is in Jairambati at her birth. And a flag flies there. And you can read the words. I am the mother of the virtuous. I am the mother of the wicked. Whenever you are in distress, say to yourself, I have a mother. <laughs>